Today on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, I'm joined by Spanish football expert Phil Kitromelides and former Leeds United striker Michael Bridges. We delve into the VAR controversy at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, wrap up the opening weekend of the WSL, and will we ever stop talking about that man Jude Bellingham? I'm Mark Schwarzer and this is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm joined as always by Phil Kitromelides and following Brighton's 6-1 defeat to Aston Villa, the man who said on this very podcast that Brighton would challenge for the title. Hmm. Another other than Michael Bridges, of course. Hey, hey good to see you, boys. <laughs> yes, I thought this would come up, Mark. I thought you'd be straight in with the daggers after this 6-1 defeat to Aston Villa. It's just a blip in the radar, mate. They're only three points off Manchester City, who are top of the league. City have failed. Um, the only good thing is, I, I think it's going to be a fantastic Premier League season. I'm not going to eat humble pie because I still absolutely adore watching Brighton. They're the most entertaining team. I think four goals plus in every game. So I might have got a little bit carried away <laughs> after watching them against Man United. Um, but no, very. I'm still sticking by my comment. Yeah, conceding six goals in uh, in a weekend's game is always entertaining, mate. So yeah, I, I'm on I'm, I'm on you with that one. Uh, Phil, have you got anything for us this weekend? Last week you didn't go to the Madrid derby. I haven't got any dirt on you this weekend. What have you done? Have you done something? Do I need to say something on this podcast? Well, I did my homework, and that was I told you last <laughs> week to always watch Girona. Hashtag always watch Girona in La Liga because they're the most entertaining team in La Liga, and they went and got beat three 0 by by Real Madrid. But similar to to, to Bridget, it was an entertaining game. It's just they conceded three goals, but they had lots of chances as well. So I feel vindicated as well that I told you guys to go and watch them. It was a very entertaining game. So uh, yeah, <clears throat> no mistakes here from me. So there's only one place to start this week on the podcast. It has to be the VAR controversy. Tottenham 2, Liverpool 1. But obviously, it was more than just the scoreline. It was VAR that took centre stage for large parts of that. Um, it's a baffling VAR decision that disallowed Luis Diaz's goal for Liverpool this weekend. And when it was clearly onside, PGOL have apologised for the error. To add a bit more information, Dale Johnson from ESPN, who is always the voice of reason on VAR decisions on social media, gave this explanation of events. The VAR, Darren England, checked offside thinking the on-field decision was goal. It was a quick offside check because it was clear Diaz was onside. So he told the referee, check complete. Hmm. There's clearly a mix-up in communication there. One thinking the VAR, Darren England, that uh, it was a goal given and therefore it stands. How is this able to actually even happen, Phil? It's barely believable, isn't it? You genuinely can't believe that that the the VAR thought, oh, hold on, I thought it was onside, and it wasn't. It's just a. It would it would almost be difficult. It it almost gives credence to people who think that there are suspicious uh, forces at play. I'm not suggesting that there are, but this is such a ridiculous explanation that you can understand why people uh, think that there might be uh, suspicious things going on. Again, I'm not saying that there are, but it's, it's, it's barely difficult. It's barely, barely possible to, to understand this. I don't know if I'm just jumping on the bandwagon here. I don't think I am, but for a while I've been feeling... Why do we have, what is VAR for? And this has just sort of added to my existential angst when it comes to VAR. So we have VAR to make correct decisions, but what is football about? Football is about entertainment, right? We watch football to enjoy it and to be entertained and, to, and, to, and because we like it. Has, does VAR enhance our enjoyment of watching a football match? 
I, the actual experience of watching a football match, it absolutely doesn't for me. And being at a football match with a Vargo decision going on, it's actually terrible for if you're a fan. You're there. You don't know what's going on. It could be four, five, six minutes. You're there. What's happening? What I, I don't know. You're looking at each other. It, it makes it a much worse experience. So again, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon because this has been such a high-profile error, and there are many, many decisions that VAR gets right. But if if it's not there to get everything right, and it's not adding to our experience, to our enjoyment as, as, as football fans, what is it there for? And yeah, I'm yeah. beginning to feel like we should scrap VAR. Don't think it's going to happen, by the way, but I'm beginning to feel it's not bringing, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth having VAR. Well, Alison, the goalkeeper of Liverpool, is the one that's come out and said he would like to see the technology used in the World Cup where the microchip was in the ball. They said there wasn't as many controversial decisions. But I'm with you, Phil. I still think that this... I love goal line technology. It is simple black or white. You know whether it's a goal or not. With VAR, how you can make that fundamental error, it still comes down to human error. So why don't we just go back to the days of the linesman, where you can go to the pub and you can say the linesman got it wrong. You know, there's a, now there is a massive witch hunt for these two guys. I mean, Darren England... Um, you know, they were saying oh, off with his head and all that. He's almost getting run out of the out, out of town. It's a human error where there's been a misjudgment, but there's other people that are there <laughs> involved. You've got the fourth official, you've got the referee, you've got the assistant VAR. Surely somebody has kind of gone, hang on a minute, um, can we just have a double check of this or or pause the game for a moment? And, but like, like you say, it's still just, it doesn't sit well with me and it doesn't sit well with Liverpool fans, Jurgen Klopp. Um, I think Darren England needs his middle name um, check, and I think he could be a Spurs fan like me and you, Phil. To be fair, the, the decision that was made it was it was a complete howler. Um, they've owned up to it, but if if it's that easy to make a, a, an incorrect decision, what is the point in having it? Leave it to the linesman. The only thing I'd add to that is, have we had this bigger error before in VAR? Um, so, like, yes, you know, we, we talk have. about human error, right? I. Uh, yeah, maybe we have, but then, but then the the point being, right? So VAR is controlled by 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 referees, by humans, right? So there is going to be human error. Is it worse because everyone's watching on a screen? They can replay it, they can watch it, they can make a decision, and then therefore it's it's deemed to be clearly onside, and he's not given it. So is it worse because he makes that decision? If you go back to no VAR, just referees making on field decision, there's going to be massive criticism when mistakes are made again, right? But a lot of VAR decisions anyway are completely objective. They're down to the official there anyway. When yes. when VAR came in, it was sold to us it's going to be for clear and obvious errors. Yeah. Clear and obvious errors. And now most of the things are being used for s small things that people disagree on anyway. They're not clear and obvious errors. They're judgments. I mean, can you imagine us four, us, us three, sorry, doing the, um, doing the VR? There's certain things happening in that game where I reckon all of us would have said different, come out with different opinions. The Curtis Jones red card. There's some are saying that is a blatant win the ball and then he's gone through. The momentum has taken it. Is it yellow? Is it red? The some are saying he's completely gone to, to break the leg and it's a red card. So again, that is I mean, still... It's a definite red card, but yeah. Well, that, well, I agree with you, Phil, but there's certain pundits that have said that it's not yeah. and there's certain people that have said that it's not. So again, it's about w which way you see that situation. Is it? Do we see it in slow-mo where you just yeah. see the, the actual leg bending when they pause it there? Is it, so again, it's, it's still open to opinion. So if it's not going to be a decision that is made where it's black and white, what is the point in having it? We might as well go back to the days of having no VR. And I remember when we were guinea pig in the VAR in Australia in the A-League, there was a grand final between Newcastle Jets and I think it was Melbourne Victory. 
and there was a blatant handball inside the penalty area that was missed on an offside decision in that game. And when I'm when I'm watching this as a coach, and I'm thinking, oh, we're guinea pig and VR. This is never going to succeed. This is a shambles in the A League, <laughs> and we're seeing it now. And now the Premier League is seeing it, and we're seeing it getting absolutely blown wide open for how how crap it is. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of remember though there was there was a time when people were saying you know previous we do need technology we need technology in football we need to give help to the officials so now we're at a point where we've implemented this technology we've realized or some people have realized that hold on it's 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 not working or maybe we are not implementing it correctly so it's a useful tool but the way it's being implemented isn't being implemented correctly if it's only for clear and obvious decisions on side they draw the lines. It's either on or off. Um, the goal line technology is is very useful, but um, I don't know, man. I just feel that this is just the sort of an existential uh, crisis at the heart of football because this really affects our enjoyment of football. Every single time VAR gets involved in games, almost every game, yeah. and has an impact. And we're talking just... about it a lot. And this does feel like a little bit of throwback to a couple of years ago when it just came in and everyone's saying, oh, no, VAR's stopping the game. <laughs> It hasn't improved. It hasn't improved in the last no. couple of years. And when it came in, I thought it's a useful tool. Give it some time. But we're still here now. And I've come around to the point of view thinking, you know what? We'd be better off without it. Phil, it's getting worse. So, Swarty, can we trust VL from now on then? Well, that's the question, right? So, I mean, I, I personally think we can. Um, I, I think, look, there's, there's still a lot to be done. There's still, there's still a lot to be improved upon. The, the question is as well, should the game have been stopped once the referee, the VAR referee made the, or realised he'd made the decision or did, or mistake, or did he only realise he made the mistake after the game? At what point did he realise he made the mistake? So should the game then been stopped then and gone back to it and gone, actually, hang on, by the way, there's a massive blunder here. That should have been a goal. Well, if the, as soon as they've realised that they've made a, a, an error, I reckon it should have gone down and they would have, should have said, listen, let, let's see, let's go back and have a look. Now, if you're 20 minutes into the game and you realise you've made an error, then then how, how, do you, how do you rectify that? I don't know. But if there's still a minute 30... And Spurs I'm scored next, a few minutes later. They scored a yeah, few well, minutes later, so Spurs. Completely the changed, it changed the whole game. It's changed the game. Exactly. It's changed the complexity of the game. But if I'm sitting next to you, Phil, right, and I know that you've made a fundamental error and I'm looking at the screen going, hang on, are you sure you've got that right? Because the linesman's put his flag up and you've gone and... and there was the, the, I think the lack of communication between the four involved in the on-field and the, the VR. That's what's most worrying about it. How the it's not just like one person has gone. They've they've communicated on this, and there's been a miscommunication. You can't miss that because this is gone. And are you? <laughs> would I change? Would I change the game? No, because Tottenham won the game. So to be fair, I think it should stand. But if I'm a Liverpool fan and I'm Jurgen Klopp, and this has changed the whole game, I am. It it's scary. So it, who knows what's going to happen. Replay? I, I, I actually don't think replay. a replay is possible replay. because Liverpool had possible. two players sent off. No, because Liverpool had two players sent off, right? And yeah. I and I I think they were yeah. correct decisions. So therefore, no, how it's do just you human error. It's human error. Human error has happened all the time in football. It's just we were yeah. sold the idea that technology is going to come in and solve everything yeah. and it's not going to be any human error and we're not going to be having any discussions about referees because VAR is going to clear it up. Can you, and imagine, with this... can you imagine if one game gets replayed? Then every other club that's had yeah. bad decisions over the last last six to eight weeks, and we have had some clangers. They're going to go. Hang on, can we play we play that one? The players' <laughs> welfare is going to be a nightmare. No chance. Uh, Phil, the question I have to ask is: Spurs 
they got a hmm. two-man advantage for, for a period of that game and they still struggled to break down Liverpool. I mean, look, Liverpool, you've got to say, unbelievable the way they rallied, the way they defended, absolutely amazing. Um, but that shows you Spurs have still got a long way to go, right? Absolutely. I, I, I confess, I didn't watch this game live. I went back and watched it uh, yesterday morning because I was doing my homework and I was watching Girona against Real Madrid, which was at the, on at the same time. So I went back and watched it, knowing what the scoreline was and, and knowing how, how the outcome uh, came about and everything. And at the end, I was thinking, oh my God, and I'm a Spurs fan. Oh, this is so harsh on Liverpool. I was... I was quite disappointed with Spurs in, 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 in the performance, in, in their ideas. There didn't seem to be too many ideas on how to break down this, this Liverpool defence, even with nine men. Liverpool still looked quite dangerous in the transitions when they were down to nine men. A huge, huge shift from, from Mo Salah. I, um, Dominic Soboslai did a huge shift as well, did what he could. Um, I was disappointed with Spurs. Obviously, from uh, from a Spurs perspective, it was I was pleased when the when the final goal went in. And but having watched it and knowing what was coming, my overriding sentiment was ah, oh, not a oh, joy that Spurs got it done. Was whoa. Liverpool was so so unlucky because they deserved something from this game. It wasn't this kind of joyful Spurs performance that we've seen in the past. It wasn't like the second half against Manchester United, which was just fantastic. It was, it was, it was different. And naturally the context of the game is completely conditioned by the, by the red cards and obviously the goal not, not given. But yeah, I didn't think it was a, it was a magnificent performance from Spurs. That said, to win the title, you've got to win when you don't play particularly well. And Spurs didn't play amazingly and they, uh, and they won. So another um, title contending team this week. Come from Phil. <laughs> wow. I, I was just going to say, are you Bridgie in disguise? Because normally the Bridgie <laughs> makes those sort of outlandish this, uh, sort of predictions. I just said to win the title, you have to pick up points when you don't play particularly well, which is what I felt Spurs did. Uh, listen, top four is like winning the title for Spurs this season. Yeah. Getting in well, the top four, give, given how this division is, you know, is, is, uh, it would be amazing. I was just joining the dots. So I was just joining the dots of what you were laying out in front of me. That's all I'm yeah. going to say. Anyway, is this the most um, open Premier League ever? I mean, the result now leaves Andrew Spurs in second place in the Premier League. Um, and Jenny Drummond was there for Optus Sport, and she asked him whether those top places are there for the taking. We're seven games into a season. I mean, you know, there's so much more to, to happen. And, um, yeah, for us what's important is we, we kind of keep working hard and, keep trying to improve and yeah, keep, like I said, believing in, in sort of the football we want to play and we'll see where that takes us. And don't forget, you can watch the full interview on Optus Sport app. Um, where's this going to take them? Where will F Spurs end up this season, Bridgie? I love it. I love a prediction from you anyway. Come on. Phil's already given us the outlandish prediction. They're going to win the league. Bridgie, what do you reckon? Well, Phil's give you the headliner there already. I'm not going to get sucked in because I've done the Brighton commentary with you for. What I am going to say is I am absolutely buzzing for Ange Postacoglu because of the what what he has done and shown and proven that any Spurs fan this season, any non-Spurs fans this season are going to absolutely thrive off watching the football that Ange and his team are going to play. The the amount of final third entries, the amount of shots on target, the goals and, uh, scored, He's just blown away everything that has been done by the previous few managers at Tottenham Hotspur. And like you've just said, this season, Manchester City, Tottenham Hotspur, Arsenal, Liverpool, Aston Villa, absolutely flying under Unai Emery, Brighton. I don't think we're going to see West Ham hang on in there. 
You've still got the likes of Man United to bounce back if they ever can. And for me, this season, it is the most open. I thought Chelsea would have been there. It is the most open that we are going to see because I think there's a lot of teams can beat anybody and you can put Tottenham in that mix because they are going to, they've definitely ruffled a few feathers. And I think Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola will be thinking, oh, holy crap, that we've got another fantastic manager in this league that is going to challenge us. You do worry. I mean, at the moment, everything's going well. Genuinely, everything is going well for Spurs. They're getting late winners. Everybody's buzzing. And no real injuries. They've got quite a settled starting eleven. You would worry massively if Son gets injured. You would worry massively if James Madison got injured. And that could genuinely derail the whole feel-good vibe at the moment. But at the moment, there is a feel-good vibe about Spurs, the way they're playing. I've watched Spurs since the early 90s. Bridgie maybe a little bit before me, just a little bit before me. But yeah, since the early 90s. And I've never seen them play the ball out from the back the way that they play now. And with the confidence to keep doing it under pressure, uh, it's quite extraordinary. And that's been implemented by, by Ange in, the, in the, a couple of months. In a few months, they will get better at doing that as well. He's only been there for a few months. They will understand what they want, what he wants from them even better. And I think it's, it's, it's really, really positive. But let's not get too carried away, as Ange said, only seven games in. And if there are injuries, then the squad could be a little bit uh, stretched that way. Swatch, I'll tell you who I am going to get carried away with. It's it's Madison. I'm going to... I absolutely adore him. Now, Ange, there was big talk he was going to Newcastle United. Ange has um, found him at Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, he is... Phil's just mentioned him. He is key because he's the type of player... I mean, some of the passes that this guy sees, the vision, he's like an X-man. It, it's it's incredible. He, he The way Ange wants to play, the way you you've seen him for many, many years with the penetrating passes in behind the back foot or angled passes or, or dink balls. Madison has it all. So the long and I think what we've seen from from James Madison since he's gone there is that he he can also do it in the defensive third when they're playing out. He, he he's got the energy and the levels of fitness to do it at the front end of the field and also go go back and pick up the ball. So as long as he can stay fit they're in with it win the chance because I don't see anybody else in that team that has the ability to dissect, that gives Song and Kulusevski the opportunities in Richarlison um, that this man possesses. What I love about uh, James Madison is his interviewing is so natural, mm-hmm. it's so different. And it's almost every time he talks about uh, Spurs and certainly about Ange Postacoglu, it's almost like he gets giddy. It's almost like he's a little 14-year-old kid and he's clearly loving his football. He's loving life uh, in North, yeah. North London at, at Spurs. Um, I want to go back to Aston Villa, Phil. You mentioned there you predicted them top four. You know Emery. What a remarkable job this guy has done. I mean, I, I know in Spain he's really, really highly regarded. In England, obviously, it didn't go particularly well. I thought it went actually pretty well at Arsenal. And then he went on a bit of a slightly bad run and then all of a sudden he was gone. He was hounded out. Um how good is he? And you're not surprised he's doing so well at Villa? He, he, he took Arsenal, you know, a really average Arsenal side to fifth and the, a, a European final. So, yeah, th- thank you for mentioning that things, you know, actually weren't that bad at his time in Arsenal because I think he was uh, unfairly handed out there. He's a tremendous manager. The, the problem with Unai Emery is that he is pretty intense. And he is quite intense when it comes to the players. And there are suggestions that here in Spain that he's kind of, if not burns them out a little bit, but he, he requires so much of them that it might take, 
a little bit too much out of them and really long video sessions and detailed analysis. And he's an intense guy and he expects everybody in his squad to um, to follow that level of intensity. But it's it's it works. If you buy into it and you've got a good squad of players, it works. And we saw it at Villarreal most recently. This small club took them to the uh, Champions League semifinals and won the Europa League as well. And now he's with Villa a really massive club. They bought intelligently in the summer, as we highlighted in the preview pod. And I'm not surprised, not surprised to see him doing so well. Talk about intense, right? That's what all the top managers are like, right? You look at Pep Guardiola at Man City, whether you talk about even Arteta is like that at Arsenal. Um, you know, the list goes on. I, I, I think Mourinho, you know, they all do that, right? And they're all accused of burning players out. So I think you're right. And, uh, you know, Emery looks intense. He looks like he demands so much from his players, but he's clearly getting results, right? Let's not let's not beat around the bush. They are. Yeah, no, he's flying. completely he's completely obsessed, completely complete obsessive, and as you said, as as all great managers are, and they are flying. And um, let's see if they can be. I think my words were pushing for a top four, not getting in the top four, but there or thereabouts towards the end of the season. And at the moment, only after seven games, it's it's looking like a, <clears throat> not a bad prediction. Let's go top four prediction amnesty. Tell me what you're thinking now. Seven games in, Bridgie. Who for you now is going to finish in the top four after seven games? Oh, Mark, right. Man City are going to be up there, no doubt about it. Uh, oh, I hate you when you do this. Liverpool, there you go. I'm going to say Tottenham are going to get in and it's going to be uh, Arsenal. There's, there's my top four prediction. I'd, it's, 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 I think it's as it is at this moment in time. Mate. I can't see Brighton... I know I've said the title contender. I know exactly what you're doing here. You've just made us talk myself out of the title contenders. Right. Forget that. Let's go again. Let's try again. Man, Man City are going to be up there. <laughs> Tottenham are going to be up there. Brighton are going to be up there. And Liverpool are going to be up there. Arsenal are going to crumble. There you go. That's it. I'm, I'm checking them out. I'm sticking that Brightoner in with a chance. Oh, had to upset somebody. <sighs> Wow. I think you were right the first time, to be honest. Yeah. You, you got it right the first time with the top four. I've but got I knew City, where you Arsenal, were Spurs, go Liverpool, Triple down here. Yeah, well, uh, as all, all good, he's a good barrister, Mark Schwartz. So he, he, he makes you stumble in and make your own errors. You know, he sets you up. Um, uh, yeah, City, Arsenal, trap. Spurs, Liverpool. I I don't think in that in that particular order. But um, yeah, City, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool look pretty nailed on at the moment for top four. I'm a little bit disappointed you haven't put uh, put Chelsea in there, Phil. But um, yeah, anyway, I'm look. I'm going to go with Phil. Same and and also your first prediction. I agree. Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Spurs. No, I mean, obviously not necessarily in that particular order, but I think that's how it's going to be. Um, it's crazy because I actually did the prediction without looking at the table, so I, I yeah. couldn't even remember exactly. I knew obviously knew Man City were at the top and Spurs were second. The rest I wasn't sure in their prediction, their positioning. Um, but yeah, I I feel. Having watched what I've watched so far, that they're probably the four best placed teams to finish in those positions. Liverpool, for going forward, Liverpool. Let's not let's add to it. Liverpool going forward look unbelievable. So if there's, I agree with you, and they've done it with nine men. who showed how how good they were and how 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 resolute they were against Tottenham with nine men. And they also won the game with 10 men against Newcastle United. I was at that game. That was super impressive how they came up with a plan B for that game. So if we all agree on the top four like that, and me and Phil have made some bold predictions, I've said, you know, title contenders for Brighton. If there's anybody that can come in to that top four out of the remaining lot, I'm obviously taking Brighton. Who are you taking, Martin? Who are you taking, Phil? If there's anybody that can break in. 
Uh, am I sticking with my pre-season prediction of Aston Villa? I think I have to now, have, uh, seeing as I've completely ditched Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea are 11 points off top four, by the way, at the time of recording. 11 points for the game less, but um, I don't think they can make that up. Uh, so, yeah, I'll go, I'll, go with, I'll go with Villa to potentially break into that top four. Forget Chelsea. Isn't it amazing how, how Spurs are doing so well, right? And Bridgie has just forgotten about his other team, Newcastle. He has not even mentioned them so far. They're in the Champions League. There's look, they're still around there. They're they're in eighth position, and he hasn't even mentioned his Geordie team, which is absolutely I, remarkable. And uh, to be fair, made, I'm not surprised. I made a bold prediction last season. I put them in the top four. They achieved that. However, it is a completely different dynamic when you are playing Champions League football, cup competitions. I've they're, they're getting a lot of niggly injuries. The 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 complete. The, the workload intensity going into that Champions League, it's high. You need a massive, massive squad. And I don't think they have that ability and um, potential. They're going to enjoy the journey in the Champions League. You know, PSG to come and they see Milan. Obviously, they've played Dortmund. They're, they're all games where you know you are going to have to be on your top thingy. And unfortunately, Mark, I would love to say it again, but no, I can't see them finishing top four this season. They'll be a top, the top eight. I think they'll get into Europe again, um, but they're going to be nowhere near the Champions League, unfortunately, unless they win it in the official Champions League. I'm going to pump up Unai Emery even more, and I'm going to say Villa are the team that could end up in the Champions League position. I'm 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 loving watching uh, Unai Emery at work. I think he's um, like like we said before, very very underrated how good a manager he is. Let's move on to Manchester United, a team that, uh, gosh, what do we even make of Manchester United? Tenth after seven games on nine points, four losses already, two of them at home against Brighton and Palace. I know we're talking about Brighton and Brighton being so good. But this is Manchester United. They should be winning those games at home and, and also against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace is now their new bogey team. Bridgie, what, what is going on with Manchester United? Is it utter turmoil? Absolute turmoil. Their, their home record what was keeping Manchester United, uh, you know, the team. That, I watched them go 2-0 down against Nottingham Forest in the first five minutes. And I'm thinking, this is going to be the team. Uh, one, you scored the goal on the counter-attack. And I'm thinking... Oh, Manchester United, how are you going to come back from this? They found a way because Nottingham Forest went and just defended. And Man United, to be fair, got back in it. And then the next home game, absolutely dissected by Brighton. And then you come up against Crystal Palace, who are the, you know, I love it how Eric Ten Hag is the, oh, possession-based football is the way to go. It's the only way. Well, I tell you what, Crystal Palace have done you with 22% possession and they found a way to do it. They just defended for their lives. Roy Hodgson had a game plan, and the old English master um, against the new super, what do we say, Dutch powerhouse of possession-based football um, with all the analysis and all the stats and everything. No, no, he's been done by the old guru, the dinosaur, and fair play to Roy Hodgson and the team. The Man United are in absolute turmoil. He had two back-to-back losses at home. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not having it. There's, there's bigger things going on in that in that camp. The crap going on with Sancho, um, still not resolved. Uh, there's a, I still think there's a bit of player unrest that they don't feel like they are getting as much love and building relationships with the manager than where, where they should be. I think there's a, there's a lot of tension at that football club, mate. I uh, I read an article this morning on the on the Athletic, and it had a really really good headline. The headline was. Manchester United simply do not create enough chances or score enough goals. 
And that's basically it. I mean, you know, you don't you don't need to read the rest of the article, although it's very well written. And um, that that's the crux of it. It's it's a really really uh, unhappy place at the moment, and there were boos ringing around Old Trafford at the final whistle. And as you said, Bridgie, it was that home record that was sustaining them because they'd gone a year uh, without losing at home before they lost to to Brighton the other week. So it's it's historically bad. It's their worst start for thirty four years. 1989, and they finished 13th that season. And I know we made loads of predictions already this season, this this episode. So I'm not going to predict where they're going to finish this uh, this year. But oof, the um, it's 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 really really looking really looking bad. And I, I you have to give Ten Hag time because if you sack him, if they lose the next couple of games, who do you bring in? How much money do you give? I mean, this is already the most expensive squad in the history of football ever assembled, this is the most expensive squad. So you have to give him uh, time to deal with it. But I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily bad. Is, is the problem that Ten Hag is too busy trying to sort Sancho out, Gennacho out, and he's got his, taking, his, taking his eye off the ball a little bit and not doing enough work on the training field maybe because they are not playing good football whatsoever. The question is though, Bridgie, can Ten Hag turn this around? Firstly, Bridgie, and then I want you to answer that as well, Phil. Is he the man? He's shown that he can turn it around because they had a really good run towards the end of the season last season. Can he turn this situation around? No, because I'm going to put it back on you, Mark. Have you been in the dressing room where the managers had a fallout with a few players and it's affected the team dynamics? Because I certainly have, yep, and I've been I in that situation seen. with Mark Viduka and Peter Reid, and it was horrendous. So what about yourself? Did you have success when that was going on? Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't. Well, we kind of did. Like It was a mid-season blip. It happened at Middlesbrough with McLaren. There was me and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank that completely fell on the outer with, with Steve McLaren, and the, the results went pear-shaped from that point onward. But we still got to a European Cup final. Uh, which we did lose, but we got to all that way, which for Middlesbrough was a massive, massive yeah. accomplishment. Um, but then McLaren did leave at the end of the season and all things changed dramatically. Phil, what do you reckon? Is he the man? I just don't see what else they do now. They've invested so much sort of time and money and expectation in him that to get rid of him now would be such an uh, admission of failure and... It requires such a massive rebuild once again that they. I don't think that they can't. They, 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 I don't think that they can get rid of him now. I think they have to stick with him. Have to believe in in what he's able to do. And if it means getting rid of Sancho and Garnacho because he doesn't want them to, you, you have to trust him. He is at the helm of the biggest team in world football after Real Madrid. This is the biggest job in world football after Real Madrid, I would say. And it comes with an enormous amount of responsibility. And you've given that responsibility to him. You have to trust him for a bit longer, I think. So you're saying, Phil, if he falls out with two more people after this, he gets rid of two more players, should soon as he has an upset and Ten Hag says, oh, you know what, I don't like you neither. I'll spit me dumb out. Oh, let's just get rid of them as well because you need a big squad, mate. You're saying that he's just going to lose player after player. My, my argument of that is... I'd be saying after witnessing what De Zerbi did to Manchester United last last week, I would be going, if I'm the, the board or whoever's in charge, I'd be saying we need to take a punt. If this is going to continue, we've got to take a punt and we've got to go and, and we've got to go and get this guy De Zerbi. Otherwise we are we are in absolute turmoil this season. It's much easier to change the manager than it is to change the whole squad, isn't it? Yeah, that is that is definitely true. I think that's a really good shot. De Zerbe, I think, could be definitely the man for Manchester United. He's done it before, coming to Brighton and turned them around completely. 
um, or took him to another level, not even turn him around, took him to another level. That's, let's be more fair, certainly, to, to Graham Potter because he did a pretty good job at Brighton as well. I'm going to go back quickly. Uh, Roy Hodgson deserves an amazing amount of respect. First manager to ever go five consecutive games unbeaten at Old Trafford. Um, and I'd take offense that you call him a dinosaur. I know he's 85 years old, but he's not a dinosaur, Bridgie, all right? He's an absolute legend. And... Um, I think, uh, yeah, backs to the wall, 22% possession. I get what you're saying, but 22% possession doesn't matter. Score says they won 1-0 at Old Trafford and the consecutive unbeaten run continues for Roy Hodgson. Anyway, we're going to go to a break. Back after the break, we'll be talking about um, La Liga and also there'll be a WSL wrap. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Women's Super League finally got underway this weekend. Optusport has you covered with live coverage of every game and a brand new women's football rap show every Monday with Narelle Sindos and Ash Sykes. Let's see what they have to say about the opening weekend. Week one of the Women's Super League and we've already seen a bit of an upset to help me break it down further. Former international Ash Sykes joins me, Ash. But let's start by talking about crowds. We've seen a record-breaking crowd in attendance at the Emirates for Arsenal-Liverpool. 54,000 fans, you absolutely love to see it. 54,000, bumper crowd to start for the Emirates and Arsenal there. They did a fantastic job getting all those people in. The interest has really peaked, I think, in England for, for women's football since the Euros last year. They backed it up with a good World Cup performance and it's showing now for Arsenal's crowds. Arsenal, they do boast the most Matildas out of any other team in the league. Three of them, in fact, and they all managed to get on the pitch today. But on paper, you'd have to say they were favourites heading into this. Hot favourites. You know, their squad and their depth in that squad is fantastic, despite still carrying a few injuries. And you would have expected them to maybe get the win to, uh, last night for that game. But Liverpool, you know, if you don't take your chances like Arsenal did, Liverpool will make you pay. They did that last year in a few games. They're a tricky side to come up against. And they got the win today, courtesy of a goal from Taylor. Kyra Cooney-Cross only getting a couple of minutes at the end there. Surely that will increase. Yes, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? She's gone to a big club there and there's plenty of opportunities. They always play a lot of football there at Arsenal. So, you know, we'd love to see her on the parks getting a lot more minutes. Someone who we didn't see though over the weekend was, of course, Sam Kerr for Chelsea. Is it that lingering calf issue still from the World Cup? Do you think that's keeping her sidelined or is it something else? The mystery calf issue continues, I think. No, it, it could be carrying a little bit of injury. It could be just a, a little bit of soreness or giving her a little bit extra time off. I think Emma Hayes likes to focus on the back end of the season. They have got probably one of the biggest squads in the league, a lot of depth there. So I think if she's carrying any issues at all, Emma Hayes is not going to risk her for this first game. She's going to worry about whether she's available later in the season in April and May. Well, Chelsea are trying to make it five straight league titles, Ash, but the one that's eluded them so far 
as the Champions League. Yeah, I think, look, I personally think this is going to be the big focus for Chelsea. You know, it's the one that's been elusive. You know, they're getting a bit tired of winning the, the league, <laughs> the league title. So they'd be hoping for Champions League football. And that means big squad depth, um, big performances later in the year. They can sort of build into their style of play and the season at their leisure. Well, Ash, thanks for your time. Week one and already plenty of talking points, Schwartzy. But how do you think your old team's going to go? Well, of course, Chelsea are going to be one of the title contenders, of course. They've, you know what, they've gone, they're going, what, for their fifth title in a row? Um, you definitely can't ride them off. Sam could in play on the weekend, so they've got her to come back, and she's obviously world-class, as we all know. And the big news for Chelsea was seeing the return of Fran Kirby, having been out for such a long period of time. Uh, she's a phenomenal player and great to see her back um, in a Chelsea shirt and playing, which is massive for them. So a reminder that you can watch Norell and Ash's rundown of the WSL season on Monday of every WSL match week on Optus Sport. And of course, Mark, uh, Hayley Rasso became the first uh, Australian to ever play for Real Madrid here in Spain uh, yesterday. That's an exciting move for her, isn't it? A oh, massive move for her. I know Real Madrid are not seen as one of the main forces of women's football. Not yet. Just not yet. yet. That's yeah. what I was just going to say yeah. just yet. They're going to make a push for it. There's no doubt for me whatsoever, certainly because Barcelona have been uh, have a monopoly on it and Real Madrid are not going to like that uh, Barcelona <laughs> have a monopoly on any league, no matter no matter what it is. And uh, to see Hayley Rasso start as well in a white shirt was, was phenomenal. Um, and, I, and I think the more game time she gets can only be a positive, not only for her personally, but of course for the Matildas. And that's what we are hoping for, that the Matildas continue their amazing run. Um, look, we're going to go La Liga wrap up this time round. Phil, let's get an update of the Barcelona allegations and how's it been received in Spain by fans, press and all the other clubs? Oh, how long we got left for the podcast, Mark? Because um, there's, there's, there's a lot been going on. Uh, so if you're not aware, um, Barca have been charged with suspected bribery for payments worth uh, just over 7 million euros. I'm not sure what that is in Australian dollars, but it's a lot of money uh, to uh, companies which are linked to uh, Jose Maria Enrique Negreira, who was the former vice president of the referees technical committee. Um, they've also had uh, former presidents, uh, Jose Maria Bartomeu and Sandro Rosé. They've also been accused of the same charges. Uh, on Thursday, Spanish police raided the offices of the refereeing committee at the Football Federation in Madrid uh, for uh, um, documents in relation to this case. It's ongoing. It's a big, big, big story that is being dealt with in different ways, depending on which part of the country you're in, shall we say. Let's just say that it's getting more coverage in the Madrid-based newspapers than it is in the, uh, in the Catalan-based newspapers. But yeah, this has been going on since February. It is still going on. And I just told you that they, um, they raided the, um, the referees' offices at the Federation on Thursday. So just at the end of September. This has been going on since February and they just got around to going to the referee's office in the Federation. So it's taking a long time. It is an ongoing investigation, so I don't want to get too much into the details of it, but it's big. This is, this is big news. It could have massive consequences uh, for Barcelona, both in La Liga and in uh, Europe as well. And we'll, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on it. But yeah, um, the, uh, the fallout is very much dependent on, uh, on where you are in the country and where your allegiances lie, which is sadly how, how everything is covered here in, uh, in Spanish football. There was a film called What the Neverending Story. It just seems like it continues and continues. And it's just not going to stop is it, anytime soon. But on the football pitch, Barcelona themselves still remain unbeaten. Um, they won against Seville at home. And uh, Sergio Ramos had a big part to play in that game, didn't, they, didn't he, Phil? 
Who wrote the script to this? Who wrote the script to this game? This is absolutely ridiculous. Sergio Ramos coming back to play against Barcelona and scoring the only goal of the game in his own net. Uh, it was an own goal from Sergio Ramos. Um, it was actually a really good game, really open. Both sides had loads of chances. I couldn't believe it was 0-0 in the 75th minute. Uh, Barca probably should have put the game out of sight before. Uh, we spoke about Lamine Yamal a few weeks ago and how incredibly exciting he is, but he was absolutely sensational. It was his header back across goal that, that Ramos unfortunately Fortunately, put into his his own net. But actually, Sergio Ramos, and I was talking to a reporter who was pitch side um, watching him, he said he never stopped talking to his defenders, constantly organising them, constantly giving orders, constantly telling them where to move. So that's kind of the reason why he was brought back to Seville, not just because of his mediatic presence, not just because, uh, you know, he looks great on telly and they might get some more sponsorship deals, but also because he's a leader and he they needed some leadership in, um, in the defence. Didn't want him to score an own goal, obviously, but that was just a, a small part uh, on the uh, on his overall performance because actually he was uh, he was very much the leader of this severe defence. It seems to be an ongoing theme on this podcast that every time we mention or big up somebody or we big up a club, that something happens the week after where, like I say, I've bigged up Brighton, they got hammered 6-1. Um, we talked about Sergio Ramos and seeing how amazing he's going to be. And then what does he do? He goes and scores an own goal against Barca at Barca. <laughs> Barcelona fans absolutely love it. And the other one, Phil, I've got to say, I've, <laughs> is, is um, Girona. You said, got to watch it. So I did. <laughs> and guess what? The only person that we haven't jinx this season and talked up Jude Bellingham and Real Madrid going absolutely destroy the team that you said watch this space Right, who are Spurs playing next week? Let's talk about them <laughs> to completely jinx them. <laughs> right, Luton Luton are great uh, we love Luton. Watch them all, all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Girona game was uh, was pretty fun, actually. I mean, you know, I said I always watch Girona and we were talking about it last week because it was a big story. They were top of the table first time uh, in 90 odd years. It, it was a terrific story. And they are a side that play attractive football and they took it to Real Madrid. It wasn't like they sat back. They had more chances, they had more possession. They won more aerial duels than Real Madrid. They hit the woodwork as well. They created plenty of chances, but Real Madrid were, were really clinical and they were led by that man who just forces us to talk about him every week. It would be like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to talk about Jude Bellingham anymore. Let's talk about somebody else. We've already mentioned him, but he was so good. His assist for the first goal was absolutely insane with the outside of his boot, curling it in. He's been obviously watching Luka Modric in training because it was the trademark Modric pass only this time for from Bellingham. He scored the third as well. Really, really good finish. And he's, he's just just extraordinary. We're, we're running out of adjectives. I, I haven't got really much more to say, but it was another big performance. Well, Swartz, where do you put this kid? Oh, he's got to be right up there. Um, he, he's got to be up there. Look, it's, it's hard to get... You've got to be careful not to get too carried away because, you know, it's eight games... A bit late in. for that. I know, I know, but like, I, I'm, I'm all for give the plaudits, absolutely. Um, and and you mentioned there, but the, we're running out of superlatives for Jude Bellingham, right? Because yeah. he's performing week in, week out. So there's there's still Champions League football to come, all that sort of stuff. Obviously, they've started it already, but go on with that. See how the season goes, what they accomplish this season, and then I think then we can start talking about Jude Bellingham where he fits in. In, in the ethos around the world in terms of world Stop football. being the voice of reason, Mark. Get I carried know. away with me, man. Join I me know. on the Jude Bellingham hype train. You're being there's, too reserved. There's two of us on there, Phil. What he's doing is incredible. I said, I said in the Come first in, few episodes, first few episodes, I said it, I did one of my, um, you know, Nostradamus things, signing, best signing in world football this season. Has, has any, Phil, has anybody made an impact like Jude Bellingham has in um, Spanish football, the history? 
Oof, I mean, not. I don't think at his age, um, coming in and scoring in so many consecutive. I mean, Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo scored. I think in his first four or five games, but you know that was Cristiano Ronaldo, and he he wasn't twenty. He wasn't twenty. I mean, we forget this. He's he's moved to a different country. Doesn't speak the language. It's a completely different league. He's only twenty. He's played at Birmingham City and Borussia Dortmund, and now he's at Real Madrid. Yeah. And he's just he's leading this Real Madrid team. Honestly, he is the fulcrum around which their play is based, and it's extraordinary to see. So I'm getting carried away. I'm not listening to Schwartzy. I'm getting fully carried away, and he's just extraordinary. Well, I think there's a few players we can mention that had a bigger impact. Um, I mean, I think Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, was was pretty outstanding when he first arrived at Barcelona. Um, yeah, that I, season, 96-97, was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so there's a few, you know, that's just one off the top of my head. I mean, there's, there, I mean I'm sure there's a list of them that will go on about how, how amazing seasons they had. Well, um, I mean, you've got a, you've been a dinosaur like Roy, Roy Hodgson. You've got a longer, you, obviously, you, you've seen a lot more players go through the divisions and um, in, in La Liga than me and Phil have. So, yeah, fair, good call, Swartz. Good call. Yeah, I might be the dinosaur out of us three, but you certainly look like you're the dinosaur, mate. Um, that sun in the uh, the north and the wind, obviously, is not doing you Thank any favours. Thank God it's a podcast and nobody can see me. <laughs> uh, we are doing uh, audio uh, recording sorry video recording as well mate so it'll be on it'll be on somewhere on the social platforms everyone will get to see that crocodile skin of yours uh, as they often do anyway Phil let's go Madrid comeback kings Cardiff I, look I thought I turned on my Cardiff they're going to win this they're away from home they are in Madrid and they are winning 2-0 they are flying but the problem is they had a, an injury to their, their main defender Cardiff he came off and then the game kind of turned around, right? Yeah, I'm not sure what happened to uh, Farley, uh, the, the, the big centre-back, but he, he looked like he had something trying to escape from his thigh. There were huge bulge uh, in his thigh. So he was injured. They went off and they, uh, yeah, they, they conceded three goals. I mean, look, it can happen. Uh, Angel Correa uh, scoring the two goals for Atletico Madrid. I actually think he... he, he he might be world-class, Angel Correa. It's just that he is used as an impact player for Atletico Madrid. He's been there for many, many years. He scored loads of important goals. He works unbelievably hard. He's a tremendous finisher. He's aggressive. He's a terrific forward. He just doesn't get into the starting eleven at Atletico Madrid. He played yesterday because uh, Alvaro Morata was uh, out suspended. And he he, he led Atleti to, um, to this really, really important win. And it's a really, really big uh, big win for them as well. They've had a terrific week. They beat Real Madrid in the derby uh, last weekend. And then they ground out a 2-0 away, away, away at Osasuna uh, in midweek, where they really backs to the wall stuff, but they, they managed to do it. And they're on 16 points. They're four points Sorry, five points behind Real Madrid, but they do have a game in hand. So um, they're right in the title race. A lot of people are suggesting that Atleti are going to be serious title contenders this season. They've got maybe the best squad in La Liga in terms of strength in depth. What they've also had is ridiculous injury problems. And that game against Osasuna in midweek, they had nine players out. They still managed to win, which just shows they do have strength in depth. They do have a terrific squad. And yeah, a big, big win for them against uh, against your boys, your local boys, Cadiz, Mark. Yeah, unfortunately, I was I was, uh, I was was hurting a little bit there where Cadiz lost. Um, <laughs> so overnight, Michael Beale has been sacked by Glasgow Rangers. And Bridges, you've heard uh, a name, a familiar name, certainly to, to the Aussie listeners, who is the leading candidate to replace him. 
Yes, and it is none other than Kevin Musket. Can you believe he's doing unbelievable things? Yokohama Marinos, he's followed Ange Postacoglu from Melbourne victories. You know, he followed suit there. He went to Japan. He's continued the trend there. And obviously what Ange Postacoglu did at Celtic, winning the treble last season and then going to the Premier League, there's a lot of Aussie coaches are being given the, the green light um, where they're, they're, on the, they're on the, you know, other clubs' radars and boards' radars and thinking, hang on, the Australian coaches have got so much to offer. And they wouldn't be surprised to see Muskie. He'll definitely be getting interviewed for it, no doubt, or they'll be trying to get hold of him. Glasgow Rangers, um, with Michael Beale's departure, he, he lost three games in a row. Uh, it's very, very harsh because I'm a big fan of Michael Beale, but one man's loss um, could be another Australian coach's gain. And it would be very, very interesting to see Muskie go back to a club where he he played his football at as a you know he, he played over there. So he's also got the fans, um, they've seen him play. They know how much of a, an animal he was on the park. Um, they'll be, <laughs> I think they'll be very disappointed when they see Muskie how placid he is now as a coach and how much he's of a, of a nice guy when they saw him as an animal on the park. But he did a great job for them. So may I uh, watch, watch this space? I wouldn't be surprised if we could, um, see Muskie in the the Scottish Premier League. Um, does that mean that Ange can't speak to him anymore? Because he's going to go if he's going to go to Glasgow Rangers. There's no chance, you know, with with Ange's connections. Oh yeah, well, I, I think they'll be chatting on the telephone, but they won't be. I don't think you'll see Ange come out and publicly say, "Oh yeah, this is a great move. I, I wish him all the best because it'll be Rangers, and then um, Ange's legacy at Celtic will be absolutely tarnished." So there's, I think Ange, Ange, a very smart man. You know that he'll be he'll be rooting for um, Kevin Muskie to get the job and come back over here. Um, if 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 Muskie wants to, he might be loving life over in Japan. We don't know that, but uh, just big talk that another Australian coach is on the radar, and there's nothing better than uh, another big club like Rangers talking about an Australian coach that's gone through the um, the AFC coaching department in the UEFA, so fair play to him. And they've got five, he's got five games to go for Yokohama, right? And they're second, they're four points behind Kobe. Yeah. Will he leave now, five games to go, with a chance still winning the title to go to Glasgow Rangers? And look, I know the step up is, is yeah. massive, yeah. but does he do it? How does that reflect him as a person if he leaves a club with five games to go, this second is, place in the league? This is why Andrew respected so, so well, because he always finishes the project he started. Brendan Rodgers left Celtic um, to go to Leicester, and the fans were absolutely fuming. So he's still got to win them back over there. Ange said, I'll see out this project, then I will take the next job. I think if he speaks to Ange, is very close with, with uh, Muskie, I think if he speaks to him, the advice would be see if you can hold off and finish the title and, and do what you've got to do before you make the decision to go. Can Rangers afford to hold on for another five games? Who knows? Uh, we, we don't know that. They're the, they're the big decisions you have to make in world football, but I, I'd like to think that Muskie would see see out the, the task at hand if he's if he's going to follow suit and um, be, be you know mentored very well by Ange, as he has done in the past. Right, that's all we've got for time for this week, guys. Thanks for your company as always, Phil. Pleasure, Shorty. See you next week. Bridgie, great to catch up with you uh, once again. Always a pleasure, Mark. I've, I've missed you, actually. It's been great doing it with Phil without you, but uh, I've, I've missed you, pal. Thank you very much, mate. That's the nicest thing you've ever said about me. Uh, a reminder that every game of the Premier League, La Liga and Women's Super League are all live and exclusive on Optus Sport. Thanks for your company on the Optus Sport football podcast. See you next time.